From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. What we're discussing here is not a thing of human rights. It's simply homosexuality. Now look, I'm standing up here as a proud heterosexual. I'd like all the proud homosexuals to join me. Come out now, be visible, tell everyone you can. Silence. Be blatant. Be as gay and as lesbian as you can, all the time. ReSound is a remix of music, documentary, found sound, sound bites, and anything else that goes in one ear and stays there. We look all over for the best audio work on the air, the internet, or anywhere else we can find it. Today, a portrait of political struggle in New Zealand and the fight for gay rights as told through rare archival recordings. Stay with us. If you've ripped up our petition, clap your hands. If you've ripped up our petition, 20 years ago, a bill came up in the New Zealand legislature supporting homosexual law reform. Its aim was to decriminalize sexual acts between consenting men over the age of 16 and make it illegal to discriminate on the grounds of sexual orientation in employment, accommodations, and the supply of goods and services. The struggle over this bill pitted vehement anti-reform politicians and crusaders against gay and lesbian activists, and it was a long and drawn-out bitter fight. After months and months of rallies and marches, debates and petitions, a compromise was hashed out, and the bill passed by a close vote of 49 to 44. Independent producer Gareth Watkins found rare archival tape of the speeches, rallies, and debates that marked the struggle, and he put them together with the personal stories of people affected by the fight. We called Gareth to ask him how he began gathering material for this ambitious project. A couple of years ago, I became aware of some very unique and rare recordings held at the Lesbian and Gay Archives of New Zealand. In 1985 and 86, um, there were individuals going out and recording and documenting the events around homosexual law reform, going to public meetings and, you know, asking really tough questions. I I really admire those people that were out there gathering material at the time. You know, they they were in quite confrontational situations and it was a very courageous thing to do. In 1985, I was still at high school and the only memory I had was of a teacher at school being bashed because he was gay and it was was quite a, a vivid memory. But all my other memories come from the archives and it just struck me when I first started working with the archives how quickly we can forget our history if it's not recorded and archived. So in 2005, uh, with the support of the Lesbian and Gay Archives of New Zealand, I began a preservation project which basically took the cassettes, which are now very fragile, and started transferring them onto digital media and also logging them. That archived material became the primary source for Gareth Watkins' documentary, 20 Years Out, Homosexual Law Reform in New Zealand. What we're discussing here is not a thing of human rights. It's simply homosexuality. Now look, I'm standing up here as a proud heterosexual. I'd like all the proud homosexuals to join me. Silence. Now back into the cell, 
Consider this, if you will, what it must be like to be a homosexual in the kind of society that we have in New Zealand. You know, we're not really exactly the most enlightened or indeed uh, sensitive country in the world. Have you ever felt the urge yourself to seek treatment in order that you might cease being a homosexual? Mm. Yes. Yes, yes. I went to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist told me that really there was nothing he could really do because apparently whatever emotional attachments that I had towards the male were too fixed anyway for changing. At one stage I went through a religious stage and um, I felt so attracted towards the, uh, the young minister <laughs> that I was in no better position, <laughs> I'm sorry. It is easy to say give homosexuals normal rights, but I ask are they normal people? The fact, is that some, the fact is that some people in our society are left with the unpleasant job of having to tidy up the mess homosexuals make of their lives and those of others. What kind of society would you like to see in New Zealand for, for gays? Well, we don't look for anything specifically for gays, but just a, a society in which people, anybody, can express their sexuality, whatever it is without being hassled and put down and ridiculed for it, you know? Um, it's a very idealistic view, but I don't think it's impossible, and I think it's the only way we're going to make the place a better place to live. You know, just stop tramping on other people. It doesn't just refer to sexuality, it refers to just about anything. Yeah. What, 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 from what quarter of society would you get the most prejudice? Um, probably the middle class. The sort of the people out of the street, the average Kiwi who considers himself a, a normal, straight sort of person, upholding all the various values and Christian principles, etc., etc. I mean, what what gay rights is all about is um is to me a very Christian ideal. You know, just sort of stop putting people down, let them lead their lives as they want to, so long as it doesn't impinge yeah. on someone else's rights. Um, that's the the whole thing behind love thy neighbour, as I see it. Right. which is the basis of Christianity, but um, that's not what you get from a lot of people. So, all in all, really, in your terms, the gay rights movement is a radical political movement. Well, it certainly should be. I hope it is. Uh, the unquestioned fact is that there are people within the movement who don't have those long-term objectives. I guess there are very many people in the gay movement who do perceive their objectives as the narrow legislative ones, and they feel that once they're allowed to, uh, this is males, allowed to have sex with one another, uh, or with all gay people, that once they're no longer discriminated against, then that's it. But for those people who adopt, and I don't like the elitist term of leadership, but for those people who do fulfill the leadership positions at present, 
I think there is a recognition that really the lot of gay people and the lot of women is not going to be improved just with those legislative changes. That in fact there are whole institutional structures, uh, be they education, the large public ones, or the family, the private ones, which really do pass on all kinds of ideological nonsense about what it is to be a woman or what it is to be gay. And until those things are altered, and until you're, you're able to restructure society by altering the public and private institutions, gay people and women don't really stand to gain very much. A bill stands in the name of Fran Wilde. Mr Speaker, I move that leave be given to introduce the Homosexual Law Reform Bill. Mr Speaker, in brief, the bill is designed to eliminate legal sanctions on consenting homosexual activity between adults, to remove the legal sanctions on anal intercourse between consenting adults, to strengthen protection for boys under 16 along the lines of protection already provided for girls, and to outlaw discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation. The bill, as the House now has it before it, is in, the, is in a, the form of an omnibus bill to facilitate consideration and discussion during the various stages in Parliament. However, it is intended to seek the leave of the House to break the bill up into two component parts for final enactment as a Crimes Amendment Act and a Human Rights Commission Amendment Act. Mr Speaker, the present law is against anal intercourse or what it is commonly known as sodomy. That is what the present law attempts to prevent. The changing of the law to discriminate homosexual acts, I don't believe, is the real aim of the gay community of New Zealand. I believe firmly that the real aim is to change society's attitudes towards uh, homosexuality and gain total acceptance of homosexual behaviours in all areas. Overseas experience has shown that where legislators of various countries have heeded to them and given in and liberalised the law, what has happened? The first thing that is to happen is that the gay bars appear, bars for gays, gay dance halls, gay restaurants and so on. The next piece of legislation undoubtedly to come in will be to, to allow gay men to marry as they can in some states of the United States. That is exactly the experience of what has happened overseas. It is the thin end of the wedge, it is the first step along the way. Mr Norman Jones. To legalise homosexuality at 16 years of age, we'll be voting to legalise the spread of AIDS throughout this New Zealand community. No doubt at all in my mind about that. I don't believe this spurious argument put up by the proposal of this bill that it'll help to contain it. I don't believe that and nobody else does. These people will come out in the open. They're in the open in these gay communities now. It's sickening. They're in the opening there now. They're 16 years of age, that won't stop at 16. It'll go down to 10 and 12. I taught in schools for 27 years. I've seen it. Personally, I'm scared that I'll get it. I'm scared that my lover will get it. Uh, I'm scared people that I love, my friends, might, might die from it. Keith, along with other gay men, says the emergence of AIDS has given religious and right-wing groups the opportunity to further condemn homosexuals. It's provided them with all the ammunition they've ever wanted.
um, it goes without saying. And if um, ever they've needed to clobber us with something, this is ideal. And they'll say, as they always do, how much they love us. They love gay people because they're Christian, they love everybody, but they want us to burn in hell. As far as members in the House are concerned, um, are they likely to change their votes or to think differently about homosexual law reform because of the publicity about AIDS in New Zealand? I would think that if this bill goes through to after Christmas, and there's another six or seven deaths from AIDS, as there will be by Christmas, uh, that would certainly influence some of these members to change their votes. Could I describe what you're doing as, in fact, scare tactics? It's tactics. It's the same tactics as the homosexual people are taking. They know damn well if this bill isn't passed this session, AIDS will see to it, deaths from AIDS will see to it that it's never passed. They know it's their last chance because if they don't get it through now, uh, the increasing deaths from AIDS will make sure it never comes through. So as far as I'm personally concerned, uh, if people are dying from AIDS, then they may as well die sooner than later uh, because I know there's at least seven that are in, in critical stages of intensive care now. If those people die, and they should die, and they will look to be dying the next three or four months, and the bill's not through by there, of course it'll help our cause. It seems it's a pretty rough sort of a game really isn't it it's rough justice this is a war it's a war between uh, between people who knowingly uh, undertake sodomy and anal intercourse knowing that they're going to infect their other partner and not only that knowing quite well that within marriage and a lot of them are, are infecting their wives heterosexual wives they're infecting prostitutes because they're having it off both ways they're infecting the innocent hemophilics so as far as i'm concerned no quarter is being given and no quarter is being asked i'm out to defeat this thing because people that get this disease are going to die and as far as i'm concerned innocent Heterosexuals don't deserve that sort of a thing put upon them by the homosexual community. Twenty years. After twenty years, it's as if suddenly your life has stopped. Nothing's ever the same. The person you always talked to is no longer there. The person you felt comfortable just being beside, just sitting with, not saying anything, is no longer there. I'm surrounded by things that remind you every day. You live your life hoping that the door's going to open and he's going to come back. That you're going to hear the voice or the laugh or the arguments. But it doesn't happen. the moral landslide that's been taking place in this country over the last 10 or 15 years has to stop. We're all working as hard as we can. Uh, we're asking Christians everywhere to really pray and to seek the guidance of God about this because we do feel very strongly that as much as anything else, this is a move of God. We have been appalled at the rush of legislation. We have been amazed and dumbfounded at the arrogance 
of some of our parliamentarians. We have been very hurt uh, by the way that whole sections of our community are sort of at times pushed to one side. Well, I believe that you're here tonight and you are here to stand for decency. Right. I believe you're here to stand for righteousness. Yeah. I believe that you're here tonight to stand for the God-ordained family unit, that God ordained to last. Yes. And I believe you're here and you're standing here tonight. Do we see concerned Christians hiring town halls to discuss the problems of the alienation of children of our society or violence within the family? Oh! We do not see this happening and we question the motives for their concern. I believe their concern is founded on irrational fear and ignorance. Keith, Keith Hay is the organiser of the petition and has clearly stated in the New Zealand Times on the 7th of April that he does not know anything about homosexuality. He says, in fact, that he had not actually heard of it until a couple of months ago. <laughs> However, this man is prepared in his ignorance to organise a nationwide campaign against a group of people whom he knows nothing about. Rationality condemns such an action. We are citizens of this country. We demand our rights as citizens of New Zealand. If you've ripped up a petition, clap your hands. If you've ripped up a petition, scream and shout. We didn't intend the Real Shield campaign to be spent on this. Yeah. The Salvation Army money being spent on persecution of gay people. Happened. Is it that right? Be, well, where's the money coming from? Where's the money coming from from this petition? There won't be a cent. Oh, there won't be a cent of Salvation Army money spent, spent on this petition. On this who's, paying the, who's paying for the petition? It's the Red Army. The letter to my mum and dad from the Air Force saying, it is with regret that I must confirm that your son Darren was discharged from the Royal New Zealand Air Force on the 22nd of May 1985 on the grounds that he admitted to being a practising homosexual. The petition was presented to me to include my signature and I initially refused to sign it. It was represented a day or so later by one of my superiors and at that stage he insinuated that I should sign it for my own good. So I had been thinking about it and in the end I thought well I've got to sign it and primarily my feelings for signing it were so that I didn't have an accusation made against me that I might be gay in the military and that really did worry me because if I was found out to be gay in the military, I would be kicked out. 
at that stage I signed the petition and then spent a day or two thinking about what I had done and how I could get my signature off the petition again because I didn't feel right with signing it because after all I was gay and I didn't want to be fighting something that was going to benefit me. So I actually sat down and I phoned the base padre who was a multi-denominational minister and asked if I could see him, I needed to talk to him. And at that stage, he basically assured me that I could talk to him in confidence. And when I did, I said, well, I am gay and I am not happy signing the petition and I have signed it. He basically reassured me that I would be okay and that one signature wouldn't matter in something like that. And from then I thought, well, okay, I'll accept that. And I just carried on with thinking about going back to work the next day. And that it made me think a lot about myself and a lot about where I was and the fact that I had talked to someone and I felt a little bit better. And I carried on back to work the next day. Until then, I was asked to report to the person in charge of our side of the operational squadron and was confronted with the issue that I was a practicing homosexual and I was going to be discharged from the military. started for us as a campaign in our interests, a campaign to give us, as gay people, some measure, some beginning towards a liberation. But it's become, over the course of time, something much different than that. This campaign has become a pivotal issue in New Zealand politics. It's a, this has become a fight to preserve a certain openness in society. And so it's for that reason that the gay communities and the lesbian community have got to look beyond our own boundaries for support in the community more widely, for support among other people who stand for decency, openness, liberality, and freedom. The laws of this land were written by Pākehā people, enforced by Pākehā institutions, expecting all and sundry to abide. 
which in effect serve no purpose to Māori them. Culturally, our Māori identity and our lesbianism flow together. It is an ongoing task to establish our role within the whānau, the family and the wider Māori and Pacific Island community. In every tribe, there are different ways of seeing lesbianism and homosexuality. We are sick of being the token speakers in our own country. The homosexual law reform campaign has mobilised white gays from the security of their white privilege to canvas for a basic human right, to fight for your own self-determination. What support has there been for Māori self-determination from you? The bill acknowledges our sexuality, but there is other legislation that has raped us of our rights, all passed by Parliament. In white, in white, straight, gay communities, the liberal attitudes to our Māori and Pacific Island status is the same. You feel guilt, we get no action. I think the one thing that I would like to comment, and it probably is somewhat hypocritical of me, because in many ways I have, as a lesbian, not done everything I can do, or could have done, in pursuit of passing the bill, is that I think we have failed as a group, as a, and I'm now talking to lesbians and gay men, I think we have really failed so far to mobilise all the straight friends we have. And among us we know many, 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 many thousands. And I think that's something that while we're talking about the statistics and getting really earnestly warped up about homophobia and all those things that we know, we don't have to be told about it, what we really have to start talking to each other and to ourselves about is why in the name of the dear God can't we get our friends out and we can't get our friends and friends out. And that's something that as a movement, as an organisation, that we really have to start thinking terribly seriously about. We haven't done it, I don't think. We all, I mean there are very few of us who are lucky or wanting enough to be separatists. We all work with straights. Where are they? Where are they? And that is partly our responsibility. Hey. Listening to 20 Years Out, Homosexual Law Reform in New Zealand. This is ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I trained as a secondary school teacher at Christchurch in 1984, and I was about 21, I think, yeah, 21 at the time, and then started at Heritong College in 1985 which was the beginnings of the heated debate in the law reform. <laughs> and I didn't come out to my students um, at first. I, um, I ended up being on the front cover of Pink Triangle for a massage centrefold. <laughs> and the Pink Triangle um, magazine itself happened to be exhibited at the Wellington Trade Fair and it was one of those trade fairs where everybody who visited it had to go past every single store. <laughs> and the second point was at that trade fair there was a huge argument because the gay community had got a stand there that it had misrepresented itself to get 
and not told the organisers that they were a gay stand. And when it arrived and they set it up, there was a huge outcry to try and get it taken down. And I remember turning around in the May school holidays and looking at Today Tonight and um, the debate was um, being interviewed on there and my face on the magazine flashed up on national TV like I remember dropping the dinner plate <laughs> and thinking, oh God, this is going to have major implications for me when I go back to school. Um, and of course it did. Um, the students reacted in very different ways. The students which I taught didn't really seem to have a problem. My sixth form did. They didn't talk to me for three weeks, which made teaching them very difficult. But they eventually sort of came around and, um, and we got on at the younger forms just used it as, as a way of being able to abuse me and challenge the discipline in the classroom and around the grounds. And um, I could manage some form of control in my classroom, but I had to sort of put up with daily abuse um, from students which I didn't teach from around the grounds, um, calling out faggot homo, don't bend over now, here comes Mr Town type stuff. And that was very difficult because you feel very isolated in your school and, and you, um, as a gay teacher, and you often don't feel that you can utilise the channels of discipline that might operate within a school because nobody in a leadership position has ever stood up and said, this sort of behaviour is not okay. You know, it's not okay to abuse somebody because of their sexuality. And so you tended to try and, or I did, I, I tried to deal with it on my own. The most important things is to be visible, to be visible as lesbians and gay men. A closet is a very dangerous place to be. It's dangerous for two reasons. It's dangerous because the society can pretend that you don't exist if you make it comfortable for them. They can say that there are not many of us. Um, they can pretend uh, that we, we are not around. And secondly, it's very bad for you, uh, within yourself, to be forced to live the kind of stressful life that living in a closet involves. The more visibility we have, uh, the safer, the stronger our community will be. So, come out now, be visible, tell everyone you can, be blatant, be as gay and as lesbian as you can, all the time. Friday the 13th of September, Black and Pink Friday, saw another huge lesbian and gay march through the streets of Wellington. This time, nearly 10,000 lesbians, gay men and their friends marched in support of lesbian and gay rights. In the past, we have been easily silenced and we have been made invisible. Tonight we are saying we have had enough. Another import to New Zealand was Australian Mrs Jackie Butler, Queensland coordinator of Women Who Want To Be Women. She spoke to the New Zealand League of Rights meeting in Wellington on the 29th of August. Unfortunately, her talk was slightly disrupted when the so-called chairman refused to allow questions from the audience, which was mainly comprised of women from Dull, the Drudges Unafraid of Ladies League. Half of the audience, including an Evening Post reporter, were thrown out of the meeting. I mean, have you 
No questions will be answered. Either you leave or I'll call the police and ask you to leave. Mrs. Butler, does your husband beat you? We're talking about violence in the family. It's a shocking problem. I'm black and blue all the time. I know, I know that I can't expect anything better in my traditional nuclear family. But it is the incest which gets me down. Oh, my daughters are pregnant to their father. Yes, but I know the little darlings have the right to life. What is your members' opinion of the Homosexual Law Reform Bill? Oh, they're completely opposed to it. For what reason? Well, it's against the law of nature. And if the homosexuals just perfected the version with themselves, they would die out in one generation. Once the law has changed, there's a certain number of people that think if there's no law against it, it is quite all right. And in some people's minds, it could even be considered normal once the law says it's not an offence. And this way, the practice of homosexual activity will spread, as it has in San Francisco. Every country which has legalised it has had an increase in sexual activity amongst homosexuals. Salvation Army joining in the march today. I think it was very good of them to come to our support. It's the first time they've given a public exhibition of support and especially to provide the music for us was really helpful because we often have trouble maintaining our own rhythm. Yes, I noticed the Salvation Army people here were really joining in for the lesbian and gay chants. Do you think they really support lesbian and gay they, rights? They were clapping in time with our chants more than in time with their music. It was pretty amazing. But from some of the conversations that are going on around about between gay men and lesbians and members of the Salvation Army, I wouldn't be under any illusion that most of them are still strongly opposed to lesbian and gay rights. Yes, Jesus was gay. Yes, Jesus was gay. Yes, Jesus was gay. Lloyd, our raving, ranting, raging, rollicking reporter, attended the presentation of the petition at Parliament on Tuesday. She has recorded some of her observations. These are the ones who are the perverts, not the gay and lesbian community. And if this bill doesn't get through, then what, who will be next? Tuesday's nauseating ceremonial presentation of the boxes of petitions on the steps of Parliament. For those of you who were unable to attend, it was indescribable. The smug, self-righteous, flag-flying, gospel-singing bigots and us plus our supporters. Mr Speaker, the collection of signatures for and the presentation of this petition have been controversial. The member for Manawatu has said that the rally outside resembled a rally at Nuremberg and there's probably not much need for the debate on that subject. This house had 91 boxes in it. They were covered in slogans. What we weren't told was that, more, that none was more than 50% full and many were under 25% full. The overstatement involved in the presentation of the boxes 
and the overstatement of numbers do no credit to the petitioners. 835,000 New Zealanders, average decent people, presented this parliament with a petition saying they don't want to know about this bill. They don't want to legalise sodomy for 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds. They don't want to have sodomy legalised for armed servicemen. They don't want to have sodomy legalised for any sector of our society because they say that legalising sodomy is the thin edge of the wedge and it's going to destabilise the family unit, destroy this nation and democracy. This bill is evil and while Rome burns, we are back here in the House tonight trying to decide whether boys should be able to sodomise each other at 14, 15, 16 or some other age. Next we'll probably have from a Labour Party member a bill legalising euthanasia or a bill legalising sexual activity with animals or next year we'll probably see from the member for Wellington Central amendment lowering the age to 14 or 13 or 12. Hello, Peter. Well, I'd like to disagree very strongly with you and with your callers on this uh, question of the uh, uh, age of consent. Yes. Uh, I think there's, there's something very wrong when you say that uh, young boys uh, both need more protection, but the, the idea that young boys deserve more protection than girls, I think there's something very wrong about a society that, that says that uh, the girls uh, don't deserve as much protection as boys. Oh, I don't say that. I'd like to see them both protected. Well, in that case, surely the law should be equal for both. But if, we, if it's equal for a boy of 16 who's not, I don't think, is mature, a great difference in maturity between a boy of 16 and a boy of 18. If he goes into an act, a homosexual act, he is going into a, I suppose it's not a nice word to use, but a, a deviance, isn't he? Well, I by the Judged by the norm. Uh, it may not be normal for everyone, but it may be normal for him. It, I would say that... It, it may not be normal for him also. Well, that's true as well, but uh, I don't see that it's going to change him. Well, all I can say, uh, Peter, is that my son is over the age of 16, and so therefore it really isn't for me anyway to worry about. It's for other parents who have young sons coming up. You know, I really couldn't talk about, or shouldn't, uh, hold her firm views on laws which don't really affect me. Yes, but just imagine if you had a son of 15 and uh, he was homosexual. Let's face it, at 15, he would already be homosexual. It wouldn't, nothing you could do at that stage would be able to change him. It would be horrifying, wouldn't it, to think that he would be a criminal once he turned 16. doesn't have to be a criminal. He can be a homosexual without indulging in sexual activities at that age. And there are many areas in life where you have to exercise self-restraint. Many areas. But you're not suggesting that heterosexuals should, in, uh, should uh, have the same self-restraint. Could you tell me why a man of, say, 25 or 30 would want a law that permitted him to have relations with a boy of 16? The, the only reason is that the law at present allows for a man of 25 or 30 to have sex with a girl of 16. I think mm. the, the, the basic principle has got to be that all people have equal rights in this country. Well, I don't agree with you there, because, as I say, it can lead to psychological problems, and I, I had this from an, an inspector of police who had been in the Navy and told me he saw many, many young lads 
went ashore, young lads in the Navy, got drunk, ended up in hotel rooms with what he called paunchy old men, and was so ashamed when they woke up the next morning to find where they are and what had happened, that one or two of them committed suicide. Yes, but that's surely the fault of society's rejection of homosexuality. If it wasn't for the fact that society has this unnatural attitude towards homosexuality, that it treats it as something to be uh, disgusted about, then these young men wouldn't have felt this sense of self-disgust. So are you saying really that all forms of sexuality are permissible in society? raise the question of incest. Yes. Of course, there are some areas in which protection are obviously needed. All right, let's say we have a girl of 16, consenting adult, and her father. Well, obviously, I think that there are, there's, there's a, a coercive power on the part of a father which is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, now, so I what, if, you're, if we're going to come to the ground that any form of sexuality should be socially acceptable, then I think we've got to extend the argument to embrace incest. Finally, sir, may I refer to the human rights question. And here, Mr. Speaker, I believe that there has been some misunderstanding of this human rights proposal. It is as a shield, not a sword. It is not available for people to use to claim something. What it is available to them for is to protect them from being discriminated against. And I look at our history in this country, the position of Maoris, the position of women, the position of Catholics. In the 30s, there was a ghetto mentality adopted by Catholics. There were evident there was evidence of their being discriminated <coughs> against that is not so now and i don't believe it has been so for the last 40 years but it hurts me mr speaker to find as seems to be the case throughout the world that those who have in fact been persecuted in turn become the first and the most vocal to persecute two of this bill uh, is the worst part of this bill with far, far more reaching uh, ramifications and very, very bad indeed. And that basically is, in the most simple terms, that if half a dozen homosexuals turn up for a job and someone's looking for half a dozen workers, they cannot be, they cannot be discriminated because of their sexual orientation and in this case because they're homosexual. In other words, an employer cannot say to that person, you're a homosexual, you're a homosexual, you're not wanted in this job, I'm sorry you haven't got the job, we're not interested in employing you because you're a homosexual. They cannot no longer do that. Once upon a time, Mr Chairman, and I have employed more staff than anyone else in this parliament, anyone else in this parliament, much more staff, much more staff, 
Once upon a time, when staff turned up that we didn't like the look at, uh, look of, because they were a bit grubby or their hair was too long or something else, we told them, your hair's too long, we don't want you out. But now you can't even do that. So the right of the employer to turn down people for any reason has been taken away from him and her, which was a very sad day for New Zealand and for private enterprise, I can tell you. And now, if a homosexual turns up, that person cannot be turned down for employment because that person's a homosexual. Now, I've employed more homosexuals in my business interest than any other member in this house. And I'll tell you something, Mr Chairman, most of them have been good workers. Most of them have been good workers. And in the industry that I come from, there are a considerable number of homosexuals, bisexuals, all sorts of sexuals working in it and doing a good job. But what, that doesn't mean to say that I support the legalisation of the act of sodomy at 16, I don't, and I voted against it. And it doesn't mean to say that I stand here and will not stand up for the employers of this country and say they should be able to hire who they want when they want. Who they want when they want. It is as a shield, not a sword. Parliament voted against part two of the Homosexual Law Reform Bill by 49 votes to 31. The debate was unpleasant listening. The antis revelling, as usual, in the discussions about sodomy, which had nothing to do with part two, of course. It was about discrimination. Um, anyway, I asked some lesbians what they thought about the events of Wednesday night. Yes, well, as far as the law reform aspect goes for male homosexuals, I think that the proposed reform in the first part of the bill is long overdue. However, I think the guts of the bill to me was the human rights uh, aspect, and that's certainly what affects lesbians. I'm furious that that hasn't gone through. Well, I think we've been conned yet again, and we, d we have ended up with nothing as far as lesbians go as a community, and that throughout this, all this homosexual law reform uh, campaign, there's been a lot of lesbian energy that's gone into it, but for what? I think the effect of lesbian energy going into this whole campaign it seems to me it's been yet another misuse of lesbian women's power in that we are still in the same position as lesbian women and really we've just been supporting yet again male rights and male needs and I feel angry about that. What do I feel? Well, anger at the stupid, misguided or hypocritical MPs who've now said that homosexuality should be decriminalised at age 16 but that it's okay to discriminate against us and at losing the part of the bill that in some ways is most important to us as lesbians. Concern that part one may be lost as well and the general backlash against all our rights and, and human rights of all sorts. And of course upset after all this time and work from so many that, that we've lost. And determination that we haven't really lost, determination to continue the fight and be visible as lesbians. One tiny setback. One wee granny step backwards is not going to deter us. We're going to fight back.
It's 16 months since Wellington Central MP Fran Wilde introduced the Homosexual Law Reform Bill and it's been a passionate, lengthy debate. The original bill set out not only to legalise sodomy but also to remove discrimination against homosexuals. That part of the bill, however, was defeated along the way and the age of consent became the central focus in recent months. As late as last night, Hawke's Bay MP Bill Sutton tried unsuccessfully to have the bill sent back to committee stages for consideration of 18 as the age of consent consent. Opposition Deputy Leader George Gare led off last night's crucial debate, explaining he could not vote against the bill, but had struggled to vote for it because of the age of consent being set at 16. There are some aspects of abstention that are appealing, but in a final analysis, a vote for abstention, I reasoned, was passing the responsibility over to others, and that I'm not prepared to do. So I was presented with what I feel is a difficult choice between two, two propositions, neither of which I like, but one of which I like less than the other. So, sir, I will, when the vote is taken, vote for the bill, but I grant you with considerable reluctance. The question is, would honourable members please resume their seats? The question is that the Homosexual Law Reform Bill be now read a third time. The ayes are 49, the noes are 44. It will be read a third time. final vote was 49 in favour of the bill, 44 against, a majority of five. Fran Wilde, the bill's promoter, says getting the bill through Parliament has not won all the battles for the homosexual community. I think there has been a change of attitude during the bill. The Halen polls have shown increasing support for the bill as the uh, last year or so have gone on. But there is still a proportion of New Zealanders who will vilify and hate homosexual people and I think that as a community that is not a healthy outlook and we should try and educate people um, to respect differences. You lost part two of the bill fairly early on and that was the anti-discrimination part. How significant was that? That was significant. It applied of course not just to gay men but to lesbian women and I was very sad that we lost that. Um, I suspect some people voted against it simply to provide themselves with a little bit of political insurance so they felt they could vote for part one of the bill. What's the strain been like for you personally over the months and where do you go from here? Oh, well, uh, it's been terrible strain to tell you the truth, but uh, I go now back to being the uh, member for Wellington Central and the government weapon trying to put a bit more time into other issues. Uh, I'm certainly not contemplating another exercise of this nature in the near future. Did you at any stage doubt that it was all worthwhile? No, I didn't doubt, but sometimes I wondered uh, what um, um, insanity had caused me to actually decide to do it in the first place, I must admit. There were times when I thought I must have been mad to take it on, but I didn't doubt that I should have taken it on. And with us in the studio now is a spokesman for the Gay Task Force, Bill Logan. Good morning. Good morning. How does it feel to be legal? Well, it hasn't really sunk in yet. I suppose it feels like a moderate step has been made towards a more civilised sort of country. Looking at the margin of only five votes and the bitter struggle over the last 16 months, has New Zealand been enlightened or grudging towards homosexuals? 
Five votes is a good margin. I was expecting one vote. Uh, governments have ruled for three years on one vote. Five votes is a fine margin. And there's been a movement in public opinion from 57% from of the population supporting reform up to 64% of the population supporting reform. This debate has started to change attitudes. It has started to make life better for gays, not only uh, in law, but in attitudes. And attitudes is what's important. But the failure of the bill supporters to compromise on the age of consent has been criticised. George Gare's final vote in favour wasn't given wholeheartedly. He said the bill's sponsors were asking for too much. Why were you prepared to lose everything for the age of 16. It was important to give the message that it is okay to be gay. To say that you've got to have special laws to prevent certain categories of people from being involved in homosexual relationships, people who would be allowed to be involved in heterosexual relationships, would be giving a message which would destroy this, the ability of young gay men to develop a positive self-image. And that's a very important part of anyone who is going to play a role in society. changed and although I'm a supporter of the law change I felt at the time that the gay community was going to lose a lot of the freedom which they had and that they would also begin to fragment and over the years I believe that this has come to pass, that the gay community has lost entirely its community and its unity. I've gone to the bars and been totally ignored because I'm not part of a particular community or a particular age group. I've gone to clubs where I've been refused entrance or I've been, once again, looked down upon because I'm not part of a particular group or age group or type of person or I'm not dressed the same as others or because I'm dressed differently. And this fragmentation, I think, has done more to harm the gay community than help it. And that's come partly through the freedom that came through the gay law reform. Gareth Watkins is the program director of Access Radio in Wellington. His story, 20 Years Out, Homosexual Law Reform in New Zealand, was first aired on national radio in New Zealand. We talked to Gareth about what's changed in terms of gay rights in New Zealand over the last 20 years. 
I think like with, with, with any country, um, you know, you go to a different town or a different city and you'll get a different vibe. I think it was a lot more overt back in the 80s. I think it's a lot quieter now, whether people still hold the same ideas. I think it's still there in some ways. You just need to scratch a wee bit deeper. I, I guess now in New Zealand, one thing is that gays are a lot more visible. Um, we've got gay MPs like Chris Carter and Tim Barnett. Um, we've got Georgina Beyer, who was the first transsexual in the world to be elected as a mayor, and then also to be elected as a member of parliament, which is you know just fantastic. We had civil unions legalised in 2005. Um, and of course, the other big issue at the moment, we still have the, the homosexual panic defence in our law, which basically allows somebody that uh, has committed um, uh, possibly a murder to say, well, actually, um, you know, it was an unwanted sexual advance and, you know, he was a homosexual. So uh, at the moment, I think that's the next big thing that certainly um, Tim Barnett, who's one of our gay MPs, is trying to get removed from the law in this country. So what do you want people to take away with them after they've heard the documentary? For me, it's the fact that the documentary and the material exists and, and it's that whole thing that it's not just about the object itself, but what the object represents, the fact that the audio exists, that people took the time and effort to go out and record it, the fact that they took the time to deposit it with an archive, the fact that there's an archive, um, and the fact that actually it's now getting broadcast both in New Zealand and in the US. These are all incredibly positive things, and hopefully, you know, um, you know, if, if it spreads kind of tolerance and respect and understanding then that's all good. But for me, the important thing is, is the fact that these things exist. Gareth Watkins is the producer of 20 Years Out, Homosexual Law Reform in New Zealand, and the program director of Access Radio in Wellington. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival, an independent media arts organization in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. The festival is made possible with lead support from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the National Endowment for the Arts, ExploreChicago.org, the city of Chicago's official tourism website, Chicago's Navy Pier, American Airlines, and the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. The festival was founded in 2000 by Chicago Public Radio. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.